0: So we, um, in coming at all on retreat and in practicing meditation at all, whatever the kind, whatever the tradition, it's all in the same name, really. We're all seeking for and and um, growing in ourselves the highest potential that we can. Call it whatever you like. <clears throat> I like the word awakening. Um, I like the word freedom, liberation, enlightenment, all of it, whatever you like. So um, enlightenment or awakening implies, as Donald said the other night, um, the luminous sun coming out from behind the shrouds of the clouds So, or awakening from some kind of dream. And that really is what this is all about. We... we live our lives, normal for us without realizing it, pretty shrouded in a bunch of dreams. Our reality is, is um, very, uh, a very small reality compared to what really is going on. We only see a little piece of it. We see it from our personal point of view in that moment, depending on our various needs and fears and dreams at that moment. And uh, it's a very narrow version, slice of reality really. And awakening implies that we can wake up and and have a way more vast appreciation of what's going on in the world in ourselves in other people Uh, somebody this morning was asking about the word luminous it's in there with the same words as enlightenment and and freedom when we're not awakened to the big truths it's darker in a way it's tighter in a way um That's why we use the image of clouds or uh, veils, coverings. And when there aren't veils or coverings or clouds, there's more brightness, Uh, there's more light, there's a sense of expansion. It's just clarity. These are all a bunch of words, but it's not about the words. It's about experiencing moments when we aren't trapped in our small struggles. And these, we know, we have these moments. We all have these moments. Sometimes little whispers, little fleeting moments. Sometimes we have, wow, big aha moments. They're all in the same family. It's not different from anything else. We want this state. We want to experience ease, space, connection, rightness, goodness we all do, everybody, everywhere when we have moments where we are not so um, imprisoned in our little needs in those moments the, the urge to have to get something, do something, rearrange something isn't there there's, there's peacefulness in those moments we all know this Not just peacefulness, though. In those moments, it's as though me and my business isn't crowding out the situation and there's now space for thou. It's like I fill it all up with my concerns until I stop doing it. And in a moment that I'm not filling it up with, well, what about this? And I need this. Suddenly there's you there. There's other. And It isn't that you or other or the world has changed at all. I've changed because now I'm available to it. When I'm available to it, it reveals itself to me in all its glory. And I was just missing it because I was so concerned with my stuff. That's really what enlightenment means or awakening means. It's like coming out from all of this struggle that we live under and taking... a. Or I just had an image right then of like swimming around in the sea and every so often like sticking my head up and looking around. It's like, oh. I read a book once. Um, Now I don't even remember the source. This is going back. It's like a memory from long ago that just popped into my mind. Somebody was asking, some, some wise teacher, some spiritual teacher. I think it was... Two of them had met at an airport in travel or something, and they didn't know each other. Two of you know, our earlier gurus kind of thing. And one of the students or disciples or whatever was saying, what's it like to meet another realized, awakened one, you know? Who you don't know, you don't have history with, you just meet them. Can, is it, what's it like? Can you tell? Is there a difference? And, uh, and the answer was something like, absolutely. It's like being in a gymnasium and everybody's lying down, sound asleep, and one person's sitting up wide awake looking at you. <laughs> Waking up, being available, being available, instead of sleeping in your own dream, actually being available. And so um, the loving-kindness practice that we do is one of the methods in meditation to help us access being available to thou, if you like, Here's a quote I just found, I haven't read this before, by Franz Kafka. You don't need to leave your room. Remain sitting at your table and listen. Don't even listen, simply wait. Don't even wait, be quite still and solitary. The world will freely offer itself to you to be unmasked. It has no choice. It will roll in ecstasy at your feet. All we need to do is be available. Life is life. It's all happening. Extraordinary. We miss it not because of it, but because we're preoccupied with our self-concern. That's it. So um, whatever kind of meditation practice we're doing, we are learning to wake up. And when we practice vipassana, which lots of you are practitioners of vipassana meditation, it's like the emphasis in that practice is to get to recognize and dismantle really and see through the behaviors that are the ones that fill up the space. With metta, it's just a different approach for the same to the exactly the same end. It's Filling the space with what will be there when there's no clouds. So we are, in. a way I often say this is we're actually mimicking being awakened by practicing meta. We're practicing being awakened. We're practicing not doing all the other things which get in the way of being awakened. And it works relatively well because you're not sitting here quite a bit of the time. When you're doing your metaphrases, phrases, you're not planning to rob banks and you're not fighting with somebody and you're not fantasizing about being in Paris. I always use Paris for some reasons where I want to be. You're actually being kind and available but they're just different approaches to waking up. Here's a Rumi poem about being awakened. The meta way, if you like. In the early morning hour just before dawn lover and beloved awake and take a drink of water. She asks, do you love me or yourself more? Really tell the absolute truth. He says, there's nothing left of me. I'm like a ruby held up to the sunrise. Is it still a stone or the world made of redness? It has no resistance to sunlight. There is no more me in a moment of waking up. There's just a world made of redness. So it's just really like there are two, there are many, but in this tradition, these two doorways leading the same place. And for some of us, one doorway is familiar or workable or we can find our way through that doorway. For some of us, the other doorway is more suitable or we appreciate it. And for lots of us, both doorways, sometimes vipassana practice, sometimes metta practice, often a combination of them. So it's the same practice and it's the same reason, just a slightly different emphasis in method. And after a little while, we realize, even with that little emphasis that's different in method, the difference seems to disappear. Sri Nisargadatta Maharaj, some of you have heard this a thousand times, he says, when I see with wisdom, I am nothing. When I see with love, I am everything. Between these two poles, my life flows. It's like Vipassana is taking apart what seems to be the solid sense of me, seeing all the pieces that we, we add to create the sense of me, Meta puts it together. Meta brings us together to connect with everything. They're just different methods. Between these two, we function, and at times one is more useful, and at times another. Somebody told me, I never read this, and it wasn't someone who, of great authority, but somebody who'd been there, so it was almost firsthand, and spent time with Bhante Gunaratana in uh, West Virginia, Sri Lankan monk in his 80s now. who has been teaching in the West for a long, long time, many, many years. When pe- students would come to, to practice with him intensively in his monastery, he mostly required that they would do two years of metta before beginning any vipassana. He said, we need a lot of loving and healing before we can start taking ourselves apart that's a very telling comment from someone from another culture one of the things to understand and where meta is um, so obviously <clears throat> skillful and, and appropriate, I would say, is when we look uh, at how, our, how we function as human beings with these hearts and these minds and these emotions and this neurosis and all of the things that we are and how that uh, progressively is healed through meditation practice. It's progressive. And when we look at the progress, we really see clearly the place that meta plays in this progression. So, for instance, something like this. We start off because of our genes, because being human, because of the history of human beings, because of culture, because of this particular society and all that, jumpy and nervy. That's what we're like. We're anxious. We're ready for... to to cope with things, we're ready for what may happen, life is uncertain, it's full of all kinds, including challenges and difficulties, which can happen completely randomly, we're not in charge. It's a very vulnerable thing, being human. We're sensitive, Uh, we care, we love, and life is completely unpredictable and we're not in charge. And we're going to die at the end of all of that. (laughs) And we don't know when or how. And quite often, there'll be pain involved. It's a pretty (laughs) big sentence. So needless to say, we're jumpy and nervy. (laughs) We hear the Dharma. We don't do this. We hear something. Almost for everyone, there's something that comes to us, some blessing that comes. Somebody says something, a word, a song is sung, something. And something shifts in us, and we, we go there's another way than just being endlessly jumpy and nervy and trying to control the uncontrollable we have a a whiff of something greater than the limited way that survival has happened for us all some version of the dharma inspires us and we start seeking we start heading towards the light as it were some of us young some of us not for many many years but sooner or later we all have is why we're here and then we start looking and exploring our inner landscape and then and this is progressive and it's different rate for everybody and some you know some we just skip along over some of these stages but they're all there for everybody we start being interested in it what's happening in here we start to realize that's actually more important than what's happening out there initially we believe what's happening in the world around us and to us is where happiness and unhappiness lies. And we begin to discover it's actually in here and how I am with what's happening, where happiness and unhappiness lie. And we start to get interesting. And so we start to uh, get curious. And as we do that, our energy lifts and we start to apply ourselves to this quest, if you like, this exploration. So then there is a, a, a um, the heart starts to get involved. We start to really care about it. starts to really fascinate it as a matter becomes of of great importance in our lives. As we do this, we start to uh, become delighted. It's an interesting thing. When you're really interested in something, it starts, when you get fascinated, we don't just get fascinated, I'm really fascinated. We go, I'm really fascinated. There's some kind of delight that goes along with that fascination. So there's pleasure, there's enjoyment, there's enthusiasm grows through the attention, through the interest. As we do this, with delight, and this I'm meaning in our inner exploration, our journey inside, um, we begin to um, not just like it because it's delight, but we begin to feel right about it. It's like this is not just fun and nice, but this is good. This is I'm on the right track, confidence grows. A sort of sense of like, oh. And as that begins to happen, we begin to relax because we trust it. We have faith. It begins to manifest that it is helpful. And so we calm down. So the jumpy, nervy, guarded one begins to calm. As we calm down and we relax, everything softens. And this survival mode of having to do something and quickly and get this and understand that and the worry subsides. And we relax. We become softer. We become easier. Everything becomes easier. The practice becomes, we've talked about it, different people have said different things. It kind of takes a life of its own. It begins to carry you. That kind of thing starts happening. But the main thing is that there's a relaxing going on in the system. And as we relax, we can actually stay with all kinds of things. When we're jumpy and nervy, we cannot tolerate, or we think we won't be able to tolerate Pain, for instance, or grief, for instance, or anxiety, we can't stand it. Quick, ring the bell, let me get out of here. As we relax, we discover we don't need to be trying so hard to make it okay. We can tolerate what's going on. This is a key piece of this. They're all key steps. But as we discover things are workable, in Donald's language, doable, then we are able, finally, to be with whatever's coming our way in life and stay and give our attention to it. And when we do that, we begin to understand it. We don't understand it if we can't stand it. We can't tolerate it. We don't want to be there. We want to get away, jumpy and nervy. We never really get very smart. We, we may get clever at avoidance techniques and you know, addictive techniques and so on, but we don't really get wise The understanding is from being with and staying with and providing our attention with, and then things begin to make sense and reveal themselves in layers, in nuance, in combination, in causes, in results, none of which can be noticed with just quick, superficial glancing. And as we understand, we care. When you don't understand something or someone, take a person and there's some situation going along and you have no idea what it is. When you give some time and you listen to the story and you feel what they're saying and you understand, you you care, it goes with it. No understanding, you don't care. Or you may miscare, you may assume badness or something because you don't really know. When you really can understand someone, automatically you are them to some degree. That's the thou, the space. The space of understanding is caring. Wisdom is understanding. Loving or metta is caring. They are one thing. If you really care about something, other than your own personal view of it, but really under- caring, it, you must understand it because you've given space to it. If you give a lot of space to something, you must care about it because you understand it. So now there's empathy. They're, the, they're two ways of describing the same thing, these two doorways. Well, I've just described, more or less, the seven factors of awakening. Mm-hmm. For those of you who know, you start with mindful awareness. You become interested, exploring, investigation. Up, up comes your energy. Up comes your delight. Along comes some settling, calming, trusting. Then comes some unification as you stay. And then comes a sense of ease, and that's how you understand. And that's where the meta is there. This is the way our understanding progresses. This is how we deepen, how we mature in life, and in our practice also. Now, in there, when there's the applying yourself, the enthusiasm, the uh, energy, there comes this sense of uh, being interested in and getting to know and then this delight. And this is really where the metta starts really showing up. If there isn't any metta, it can be sort of dry investigation, figuring things out, describing words, maybe even being able to explain. But there isn't the shift that allows you to go, oh, this is so good. And lets you relax and just like give yourself to it. There has to be the heart in there to be able to trust it, to then be really able to to stay with yourself, say, through a retreat, an, a sitting. We need the heart there to help hold us there because we're jumpy and nervy and we think, well, it'll be better when the bell rings or after tea I'll feel way better or something when the sun comes out, Some. Oh, this is a tiny little quote. I want to get rid of all my piles of paper. Ananda was um, the Buddha's first cousin. And for 40 of the 45 years of the teaching of the Buddha being a teacher, he was his personal assistant. And so he was with him all the time. And uh, when he was dying, when the Buddha was dying, Ananda was still there. And Ananda was crying because he was dying literally in his last few hours And, uh, you know, the Buddha was saying, you know, why are you crying? You know everything's going to come to an end. I mean, what have I been telling you for 40 years? (laughs) But Ananda is weeping, and what he says over and over apparently is, he who was so kind, he who was so kind. Of all of the wisdom and all of the brilliance and all of the depth of understanding, that's the piece that he was grieving, the kindness. You can't have a wise one who isn't kind or they're not really wise. They may be clever. They may know a lot. So if we take this progressive aspect of of, um, how practice unfolds in us and how we grow through it, go backwards, we can't actually care about anything or anyone or ourselves if our view is sketchy and superficial or clouded. When we can see clearly, we can understand. When we can understand, we can care. We can't see clearly because it's sketchy until we calm down. And we won't calm down because life's too challenging and we're too sensitive until we feel reassured, until we feel it's okay, until we feel... um, encouraged, or yeah, assured. Both those two words are my favorite words for this. Encouragement, cur, as Donna was mentioning that, the French word, to take heart. Take heart. I didn't have the heart to tell her. I had the heart. It's a boldness. You know, to, it's a power to have heart. and allows us to be with whatever is difficult. So we need the heart part to calm down and all the rest of it. So we need to make our hearts comfortable. We need to make ourselves soothed, if you like, reassured, this is the role of metta. And it works, and it's amazing. A few hours of telling yourself you're okay, it's reassuring, isn't it? Even if you couldn't do it very well, and part of you is going like, oh, come on, get off it, you know. <laughs> this is just brainwashing. Or whatever it is your little skeptic is doing at the same time, you're still... Wishing yourself well, wishing yourself well, and for moments you're able to relax. It calms you down. So there's, I've made four points here, but there are, you could say them in any different way. One of the things that Meta does to work in this, this way is um, it's like, behaves like a friend. When we're upset, we need our friends. When do you go to the phone and phone your friend? You know, something's happened, oh, you got to phone a friend. There's, it, there's, they're there, they hear you, they support you. So it's, a, it's supporting, it's befriending. It's also not just befriending, it's soothing and reassuring that comes out of it. It also delights, because when we're inspired or when we're... Um, when the heart, when I have the heart for something, if there's enthusiasm, there's positivity. It isn't just a balm. It is a balm, but it's also inspiring and uplifting. There's a joy that can come from this. Um, and it can really bring enthusiasm so we can keep going. So it nourishes us in lots of different ways. This is um, a quote from Aya Kema. She was a, a German woman who became a nun and lived in Sri Lanka for many, many years last century. The mind cannot concentrate... Without the three foundations of generosity, moral conduct, and loving-kindness. These are the three pillars of meditation, she says, which support the practice. This loving-kindness, I like loving-friendliness myself. I actually like friendliness the best, because loving gets a little too of a high bar for many of us. We think that we're supposed to be really juicy and gushy and full of feeling. It's actually friendliness easy friendliness. Friendliness is a feeling in one's heart. It's an absolute essential for concentration because it creates peace and calmness in the mind. If that's lacking, more loving-kindness meditation at the beginning of each session may help. The less we have a loving heart, the less we'll be able to have a clear mind. A clear mind is an outcome of a loving heart. So start every meditation session with loving thoughts for yourself. Some people have said, it has been said, that metta, this practice, developing friendliness over and over, um, solves conflict. It's a problem-solving thing. It solves conflict and struggle and dukkha. But how it solves it is it actually dissolves it. When we we can bring friendliness to a situation, the situation may just be exactly the same. We haven't actually changed the situation or the person. Let's say there's somebody who's, you know, criticizing us, for instance. They may carry on criticizing us. What dissolves the problem is that instead of us Filling ourselves up with me and "Oh, I'm not good enough," and they're you know, on my case again, poor me," isn't there, And we have some concern for them. We have some space. They're upset, they're irritated. They're frustrated. The problem is the situation is the same. The problem as I perceived it is shifted. It's my perception that shifts. So then there's a dissolved problem. I now have a friend who's in distress rather than an enemy who's criticizing me and I'm defended against them. The defense cannot be there. It's possible. This is is really the brilliance of all of the Buddha's teaching. It isn't the way we think it is where the world has to suit us. It's actually possible for us to accommodate to the world. And then... We don't have to have the things we think we need and we don't have to get rid of the things we think we can't tolerate. We can tolerate it. and We are fine, we're content without it. It's us, and it's actually only us we can change. We can't change the world. Sometimes we can and we endlessly try. Mm-hmm. But the big things we definitely can't. The aging, you know, the disease, the people loving us and leaving us. We can't. I said I like the word friendliness for metta as a translation. Just I want you to think for a moment about when you're with a friend. There's two friends together. When you're with your good friend, how do you feel? I would say things like you feel um, comfortable. You feel relaxed. You're not, you don't feel defended or guarding. You don't feel the need to impress as a sort of trust, and you're available. You care about this person, you're interested in what they're saying. You can be vulnerable with them because you know they're not going to jump in there and stomp on your heart because they're your friend. So you can be open, you can be honest. You will be helpful if it's necessary. Helpfulness happens. All these things happen. You're receptive to what they might have to say, even if it's difficult, you're able to hear it. As a lightness. Often you don't have to be talking when you're with a good friend. You're hanging out. This is meta. It isn't metta Doesn't mean something. In Donald's language, in the beginning, he was talking about we're actually. In, this is an intention practice, not a production practice. You're not trying to produce something. What we're really doing is we're taking away the the other jumpy, nervy, guarding, judging, planning. Worrying, hoping, expecting, all that other stuff. Like they're not there when you're with a friend. (coughs) And what's there instead, if you want to call them something, it's kind of natural. It's just easy. It's how we are when we aren't with anyone. We're with ourselves and everything's okay. It's like a non-state almost. So don't be fooled into thinking it means... Because I think loving kindness, you know, it's it sort of feels like something that we're trying to, to have. Really, let it be less than that. Sometimes it's very loving. Sometimes it's very, very warm. Sometimes it's very enthusiastic. But sometimes it's just light, simple, ordinary. And oftentimes it's, it isn't even particularly... I was going to say warm. It's kind of like, it's okay. I can be with this person. So I have a roommate and she snores. That's okay. I can handle it. I'm only here for a week. That's meta. It isn't necessarily loving. I don't have to love it or her. But I'm okay. You know There's space. That's meta. And it can even be less than that. It can be, I really don't like it actually. It's a drag. But it's okay. It's just the way it is. What happens. So it can be simply an ability to tolerate what's happening with no having to do something about it and wish it were different and making a story out of it. No agenda. When we're agenda free, even in difficult situations, that is still meta. It's the way you are with your friend and they're actually having a hissy fit or they're, you know, something is just causing them to really lose it. That's okay. You don't have to fix them. You're there for them, and you can see that. You can allow it in your heart. You may need to say things to, you know, we, we don't not function. We still function and make choice. But the in the heart part isn't in conflict. You know, I don't like the dentist chair. Anybody here really like it? Anyway, don't have to answer. I don't like the dentist chair. I have to go. I chipped my tooth recently. <laughs> so I actually have to get around to getting it. And even though it's not about nerves and pain and needles, I still don't like being there. But, you know, I'm fine there. I can be meta with myself to be in a situation that actually could easily trigger tension, and it's okay. That's meta too. So don't put your bar of what you expect to to be feeling too high. Be realistic. Now, what I want to talk about is... um, weighs that other than in your actual practicing your phrases in your retreat I just want to talk a little bit more about in our lives which you can do as part of the retreat here absolutely I invite it to have the a spirit of metta helping calm you and soothe you as well as the actual wishing of your phrases themselves so um, there's a word I like a lot in this way because I'm the power of this in our progressive calming down is the word cheer which isn't that commonly used anymore Um, to be of good cheer it's a little more you know older fashioned I have a a Scottish friend where I live and she she's an older woman now we've all got older but every time she uh, leaves you she says (laughs) cheerio a Scottish accent it's a sweet thing (laughs) cheerio and it's like, be of good cheer, you know, or cheer up, love. Or when you drink, you know, cheers. You know, what, what you're saying is, may you have good cheer. You may, may your heart be cheered up. It's a beautiful blessing, really. It's a great wish. It's a met- that's meta. Cheers, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Encouraging, taking heart. So there are some traditionally recommended ways, and there are some other more uh, unorthodox and some of my own ways I want to share with you for cheering. In uh, in more of the teachings of the Buddha, some of the word that's used other than cheering is gladdening the heart. Same thing, cheer yourself up. Uh, the the Buddha recommended a couple of very uh, very effective ways to cheer yourself, and these, aside from your blessings themselves, which are all beautiful words, they're all cheering words that you're saying, um, is uh, in the reflection of the uh, refuges to take refuge. If you, if t- to take refuge, if to really trust that waking up is possible, and that you're here because we're rewiring these plastic brains, and we're, we're sensitizing these hearts, and we're allowing ourselves to be friends, and you believe it's possible, that's to take refuge in the Buddha. It's inspiring. It's cheering, isn't it? So remember that every so often. And the Dharma, you know, like, you know what, I can tolerate it how it is. I can tolerate sitting here and wanting the bell to ring and being uncomfortable, and it's actually doable. And I'm fine with that. Isn't that better than, I can't stand it, hurry up and ring the bell? So I can can do this. I trust that that's actually a, better way for me, for all of us. It works. That's, that's literally simple as that. That's taking refuge in how things are. Allowing the how things are to not be conflictive for you. Agenda-making. Sangha, of course. Friendship itself. Being with people. Quilly this morning came into the office and uh, we were having a conversation and uh, I was sending some encouraging words to somebody and one of the others in the office came into the room, and Cooley was already in there. This other person came into the room in the midst of me saying some encouraging words, and she joined in saying encouraging words. And she said, I don't even know what it is you're saying, but I, I, I'm with you too. And then Cooley said, it's so cool working at Spirit Rock, because even though you didn't even know what she was saying, but you know she was saying something helpful and you joined in. It's so great to be with people who we know are wishing each other well. That's really refuge in the Sangha. Trust people's goodness. We all are good people. So the refuge is. Another that the Buddha recommended was um, reflecting on your own decency, your own qualities, your own sincerity, your patience. I mean, look at what you're doing. This isn't, this isn't a piece of cake, what you're doing here. This is not an easy thing to sit here hour after hour with just you yourself, no distractions, no one to blame for anything, (laughs) no one touching you and reassuring you, all on your own, hour after hour. It's not. That's why all of San Francisco isn't here doing it. It takes gumption, it takes courage, it takes a lot of strength, it takes a a lot of persistence, all kinds of qualities. You've got them all. Reflect on them, because it cheers you up. You're actually nice. (laughs) You're trying. You care. It's awesome. Appreciate yourself. It's unbelievably uplifting. We don't. We don't think we should. You know. Oh, I'm just. You know. It's very, very wholesome to appreciate yourself from time to time. And then gratitude. What do we look at us? Oh my goodness. So much to be grateful for. So, so much to be grateful for, even just being able to be here together where it's safe and nice and be fed and it's warm. I'm not even going to begin. I wouldn't wouldn't stop if I just were to go on about counting blessings. We could come up, we could talk all afternoon. If we all just kept offering blessings out, we'd never stop. Amazing. So some kind of gratitude, very uplifting. So from time to time, if you feel you need a little uplift, just count some blessings awesome. Another one huge huge for all of you I know I'm sure everyone in the western world especially and, uh, and really enormous for me is nature. You know it's not a coincidence that Spirit Rock and all these places like Spirit Rock are built in beautiful places that when they, you know it would be much easier to put us in some kind of old industrial park you know where there was all you know easy access and car parking and you know all the uh, infrastructure already there and it's you know or some old back of a mall somewhere or other <laughs> some warehouse that's no longer needed it would work you know it'd be undercover and you know but we somehow we gravitate to where we actually need the nourishment of beauty what do we do on holiday you know some of us go to paris sometimes but much more often we go to the beach we go to the mountains you know we go to the desert we go where there's waterfalls, where there's creatures. When the earth lies down, she becomes a field, like a great mammal mother. She suffers us to play upon her and nurse and sleep. All warm nights, sleep in moonlight. Keep letting it go into you. Do this all your life. Do this and you will shine outwards in old age. The moon will think you're the moon. (laughs) That's from the swampy Cree. I saw somebody the other day. I don't know who you are. I haven't had a conversation. It was near the beginning of the retreat. Completely intrigued with the sparrows. Just over here right by the big bell. So intrigued that you ended up sitting down just gazing at these sparrows. It's just delightful. I remember Michelle McDonald, one of the teachers, years and years ago saying, go and watch the chipmunks because at IMS there's tons of chipmunks. Go and watch the chipmunks. You can't be depressed and watch chipmunks. (laughs) So it's so necessary for all of us. We know this deeply. It's so uplifting. I have a little story. I've told you this story, some of you, before. This was one of my most um, joyful nature experiences and it was in a retreat. And uh, it was at Gaia House in England where I like to practice. And uh, it was uh, four o'clock or so in the afternoon. I'd been out walking in the fields and the lanes. And um, I was coming home across the fields and uh, for my cup of tea at four o'clock. And it was winter, December. And so the sun was setting at that time of day. And it so happened that the full moon was rising simultaneously, of course, as it does and um, I came up a little, over a little rise of land in, in the fields, and there are fields full of cattle. And so all of these cows are around eating all the time, walking all over the fields and eating from them. And this was a field with lots of cows in, so they, were, you know, they wander around all day long on, these, on the grass, green grass. Um, and just was the way that the curve of the earth right there in Devon, it's rolling hills. As I came up this gentle slope to the crest of this slope, and it began to fall away in front of me with the sun low over here. The sun caught the entire field shining gold covered with cobwebs. It was like a sea of gold. It was unbelievable. And as I, because my mind was quiet, I'd been practicing already for some weeks. When I looked really closely, I could see that it was only the cobwebs which were which were horizontal to the sun that were shining. But there were like, a thousand times more cobwebs all at different angles, but they weren't catching the sun. And this field had cows in it that were wandering all over it all day. How many spiders were there making (laughs) cobwebs so fast (laughs) that they were shining? It was just so awesome. I couldn't believe it. I also love birds, and I love the English birds. I wonder why. And I love the uh, bird song of the English birds and looking at them and thinking... This is awesome. This is why there are so many birds in England because there's millions of spiders for them to eat. <laughs> it just was so gorgeous. And so then I went back. It's was right near Guy House, went into Guy House, had my cup of tea and then sat. And my heart was so content and so soothed and delighted that my mind went <sighs> completely quiet. There was no... Me needing to do anything, no worrying, no jumpy, nervy, nothing. It was just peaceful. And it was directly the effect of this, this uplift from this beauty. It's extremely, extremely powerfully healing and helpful in our practice, helpful in our lives. Albert Einstein He said, the most beautiful thing we can experience is the mysterious. It's the source of all art and science. He to whom this emotion is a stranger, who could no longer pause to wonder and stand wrapped in awe, is as good as dead. His eyes are closed. We need that feeling and nature brings it out in us, wonder. And I love that word wonder. And I think of it as innocent, the way little kids, you know, they just, there's a delightful, available love and interest in whatever, the mystery, and not trying to solve the mystery, because when you're a child and you're looking, you're not trying to figure it all out, even though four-year-olds keep saying, why, 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 they don't want the answer, they just are fascinated, they're full of wonder. And we tend to think we have to know, and then there's no more mystery. We don't have to know everything. In fact, when we don't know, it's much more fun. Some of you, this I remember this happened. I was on a ferry. I live on an island, so I'm often on a ferry. I was on a ferry. It was dusk, coming home, and uh, there was this most extraordinary, about three or four bright lights all close together, hurtling across low and then apparently falling into the sea. It was like really exciting, scary, weird, awesome. Oh my God. And everyone's like, talk about wonder. So then I drove home. It's only a short ferry ride. I drove home. My partner was at home who came running out and said, did you see it? Did you see it? And I was like, I did. I was on the ferry. Well, What was it? And so he then was on the radio and tr- he wanted to find out what it was. He couldn't wait to find out what it was. When we found out what it was, it was a part of a, um, a Russian satellite re-entering the orbit of the atmosphere and burning up and landing in Washington State somewhere. And all of a sudden, it wasn't so much fun. <laughs> there was no, like, whoa. But I felt like a caveman and a, you know, one of those times when there's a solstice, I mean, the uh, you know, um, eclipse or something, that... What is it? There's a sort of exciting charge. Well, when you have the information about what it is, it's just another bit of junk from outer space. You know, <laughs> wonder goes away. We really think that seniority, you know, knowledge has seniority, but I would say wonder allows much more available, open-heartedness. John O'Donohue, who died just a year ago now, I would love to live like a river flows. Carried by the surprise of its own unfolding. So back to things which can uplift us, which are metaphor, which gladness and cheer us, and therefore soothe us and help us relax and be present for our lives. People, beloved ones, and inspiring ones. Why do you think we quote all these people? You know, it's because of their inspiration, their vision. Martin Luther King, whose birthday it is so soon. We hold these people so preciously because what they do for us is gladden us, expand us. It's so beautiful to be a member of this race and there be such such beautiful richness among ourselves. And then play. I have to mention play. I mean, you know. Sylvia was talking about everyone so excited because they were going to win the thing. It isn't even about the winning, it's being everyone together. Why do we have such a thing as team sports? It's because we don't have to be so isolated and we're sharing something. Why do we go to concerts? We could listen to the music by ourselves, you know, we'd download it by all alone, but we want to be with everyone else enjoying Leonard Cohen <laughs> or whatever it is. It's the sharing, it's the connecting. We love that. You know, one of the things I like to do is dance. I haven't danced for a while, but one of the things I've done quite a bit, especially for a period of my life, I was really into contra dancing. And uh, there's there's a, a place in Seattle... Uh, it's a, a springtime folk festival, a free folk festival called Folk Life. Some of you are from Seattle; you know about Folk Life. And if you go to Folk Life, to this festival, the biggest venue in the whole festival. There's many stages and all kinds of folk music and singers and dancing and the whole thing. The biggest one is the contra dancing place, and uh, it's really a big venue. And the people who go go for the whole weekend because they're totally into it. And so there's like sixty, about six hundred people who are really good dancers, and. It's such a fantastic feeling because with contra dancing, everyone's doing exactly the same step at the same moment. And no one is saying anything when you've learned what you're doing. And the feeling, it isn't just dancing to music, which I could do in my own living room. It's like having 600 of us all doing it right now at the same moment and it all goes so smoothly. It's like we become one dance. It's so, the pleasure is the connection. It's the playing together. Play isn't play often if it isn't together. We play games because it's cheering us. Here's a sweet story. This is a doctor. He worked a lot with um, terminal patients and with a dying. This with a dying patient. She's dying. I was standing in the corridor outside her room. I knew she would die soon. The blind was down. It was so dark. I looked at my watch. It was four fifteen, a mid-January afternoon. Hmm. suddenly I saw a line of light the sun peeked in from the side of the window creeping along the floor climbing up the side of the bed falling onto her hand I stood there gazing and then I heard her move a little I looked at her she was looking at the light on her hand she was moving her hand into the light and out of it she was smiling a little playing with the light before the darkness took her. Mm. So I would just ask you to, as you continue through your lives, but certainly through your retreat from time to time, ask yourself, what is it that does cheer your heart? What of any of these and other things? I was just recently in San Francisco for um, four days, the four days before Christmas, I brought my daughter with me for a holiday. I came to your lovely city. And um, one of the things we did was we went to the De Young Museum and as you know who live here, that there there is a, a fantastic exhibit of the Impressionists from the Musée d'Orsay in Paris. And I like to go to Paris and I love the Musée d'Orsay and I love the Impressionists. <laughs> and um, we got inside the uh, museum, the De Jong museum. Having spent, I spent at least 20 minutes exploring the crack at the entrance. <laughs> I'm not even going to go into that, but that's one of my favorite things. But most people didn't even notice that that was there. But anyway, I love, I love um, Andy Goldsworthy work. Anyway, we got inside the door, and a woman, we just were inside the door, and we saw the Impressionist exhibit full for the afternoon. No more tickets. We paid our money to get in the in the museum, but and that's really why I was there. No sooner had we discovered, and we sort of looked at each other. Oh, then um, a woman came up to us and she said, "Would you like a ticket for the Impressionists?" I'm a member, she said. I get free tickets. I've only got one, so she gave it to us, and I gave it to my daughter because I wanted her to see them. And then she was just about to, and she turned around. She said, "No, no," she said. "You're the one who loves these. Go on, you go." So she saw the rest of the museum and I saw them. And when I was in, I know these paintings. I love these paintings. I was honestly, at one point, with one of the Cezanne, I was just honestly almost in tears. It's so beautiful. Beauty is so uplifting. I was so enjoying the pleasure of the painters who can take their love of nature and give it to us. There's all these ways of being happy. Mm. so what I encourage you to do is whenever you do do some (laughs) reflection find yourself gazing looking at the moon whatever check and see the effect on your system don't just do it and enjoy it but see that it has a place in the progressive calming of your mind the ability to be with what may be otherwise difficult or boring notice the effect on you of it. So you don't just enjoy it, but you see how that is, in fact, very a powerful effect. I was saying to a few people today, I was talking to several of you were saying to me how you love this practice, and, you know, it's so... It's so much pleasure you were saying and I've said to you several of you I said feast on it this is the abiding in this this is beautiful these states nourish yourselves with them we don't have to be always trying to generate them at times they're available to us feast on them it's delicious it's wholesome it's what we are longing for a sense of ease a sense of expansion, away from the neurotic needing to make it something else don't miss it, and they're little and sometimes subtle feast on it abide these things are called the divine the, the brahma viharas brahma in the god realms or those who are in uh, elevated states, brahmas vihara means a, a, a home a place to live a place to abide so one translation is these the meta and its relatives are the divine abidings how to abide well by relishing it when you know it's there feel it be there stay here mm. now I've got to start choosing what else to say because time is going by um I will just, without going into them, at any, le- any length, there are four. Loving kindness or friendliness, being sort of the mother of them. Then there is um, compassion, karuna. This is exactly the same. It's just, it's what happens when we're friendly with a situation which is problematic, which is difficult or unpleasant or painful or sad or something. We care, we're friendly, we're open, but when you're with your good friend and they're having a really difficult time, there's a kind of oh it's like oh this is hard feeling. There's a it's got another flavor, slightly different flavour when we're in the face of difficulty. That's still meta, but it's meta tender, quivering meta because of the difficulty. Then there's the next one, which is mudita, which is we call appreciative joy or empathetic joy. And this is when we're in the presence of something that's fantastic, wonderful, lovely, happy, successful, good news. And when we're there, this is like, oh, this is so great. There's an uplift. And the fourth one is um, equanimity. This is being open, being friendly, regardless whatever is happening, with our friend who's sometimes happy, who's sometimes bored, who's sometimes really going through difficulty, where everything is nothing special. It's, it's not changed because of circumstances. It's there anyway. It's kind of big background, always reliable, expansive equanimity. I think I'm just going to have to mention because I don't know if we, I don't know if this will come up in the other uh, talks, but I want to have this explained to you briefly because I think this is so rich. When there is the pure sense of the freedom of me making and my agenda, that moment when I am expanded and it is Thou, loving kindness is there, friendliness is there. Its close relative, which isn't quite clean or isn't quite purely open when there's a bit of me in there there's friendliness but there is a bit of wanting you're my friend but I want you to keep being my friend as long as you behave in a certain way there's a little bit of controlling attached when there's complete open hearted friendliness you may stop being my friend but I don't change you may do something that I think is a little weird but I don't now pull back. Really, it's staying open, being with anyway. That's meta. The near enemy, almost the real thing, but where we're probably more likely to be is a little smaller version of it, which is attachment or wanting something, some kind of a deal, when we're friendly. We're friendly only in some, not all circumstances. Right? So there's a bit of a caveat. That's the near enemy. The far enemy, of course, means the opposite. These are very skillful teachings, these near-enemy teachings, because we can really recognize when we're in a near-enemy of meta or really metta, when there's a sense of wanting something. With compassion, when we're in the face of something difficult, pure karuna, pure compassion is just that, oh. But the near-enemy, which is much easier for us to be because we're much less enlightened than we would like to be, lost at the time, the near enemy is like, oh no, it's some kind of fear or aversion, or some kind of, oh you poor dear, but there's some pulling away. When there's no pulling away, it's like, oh this is so hard. But it's what it is, remaining without conflict, without needing to anything. With mudita, appreciative joy or empathetic joy, when something lovely is happening with somebody and you're there in the presence of it, the near enemy, which is where we tend to go, is, it's an interesting, I've thought about this one a lot, is exuberance. And what I think that means is when somebody's having something lovely happen to them, it's it's easier for me to um, feed on the fun rather than stay open to the person. There's lots of other near enemies. We often get little twinges of jealousy. What about, Or oh, can I have some? <laughs> or when's it gonna be my turn? You know, and, or, you know, lots of other things can come out too. But uh, there's a, a bit of, we sort of get off on the thrill of it all and forget the person somewhat. That can happen with mudita. And the near enemy of uh, equanimity, it's very useful to know these and, and be aware. The near enemy of equanimity which we often think is what it means, in fact, and people ask many, many questions about this, is uh, a sense of, oh, well, too bad, whatever. You know, we're all going to die someday anyway, so it doesn't matter how I behave. It's a indifference. It's a kind of withdrawing, cutting off. And uh, and oftentimes people think, if I'm really spiritual, it won't matter. As some, It sort of will... Uh, uh, protect me from feeling things. That's not equi- real equanimity, so I feel it completely. But it doesn't throw me off into wanting to do anything about having to change anything. So it isn't a disconnect, it isn't a pulling away, it definitely isn't indifferent. It's like, wow, who would have ever thought this too? Oh my goodness. And we keep on going. It's, a, it's, it's surrender to the truth of it without dismissing anything it's very interesting and, and subtle but to to be aware of we often get questions about that mm, my time is up oh. um, okay I have to finish I think I just want to say that um, the practice of metta, the, the formal practice, the, your phrases, um, the imagery that goes with them for some of you, the ditties that go with it for some of you, um, the associated memories or the feelings or the embodied aspect, whatever, all of the different pieces that all happen for you are all so varied. And they're also individual, and um, i I'm saying this because for myself becoming involved with meta i couldn't I couldn't relate for a long long time the way it was presented because i didn't have I couldn't connect with the way it was offered, and I wasn't given enough alternatives that I could feel comfortable with I just thought, oh I can't do this start with yourself and I couldn't start with myself because all well, would happen I said just be like down on myself just oh come on you know critical and then benefactor we've been more flexible and you know we've been all describing how that more flexibility works for more people but I had to be really quite flexible to find my way to meta and it happened by accident I wasn't even meaning to but I found myself giving myself a pep talk some of you've heard this I just found myself one day in a walking period in in a regular retreat talking to myself with this really nice friendly little chatty it's okay, Heather, you're doing okay, just hang in there. You know, you. it was just this little, and it wasn't any one continuous anything, it was just chattering away, it was lovely. And that was the first time in my life I actually was being nice to myself. It was awesome, quite spontaneously. And the effect was the next sitting, rather like the cobweb field sitting, the next sitting was so present, so calm, so connected because I was so soothed by being friendly to myself in that way. It was so clearly beneficial. That was meta, all quite spontaneous. Um, and there are miscellaneous ones. So what I really wanted to encourage you is to say that metta is like an art form. And of course, therefore, it's going to be original. You're going to do it your own way. We give you the bare bones and the structure because it's tried and true and it really works, particularly repeating over and over because, as you know, that's where the mind settles down and gets calm and concentrated, which is hugely, first of all, important in how we progress. But it's also... Mostly, the only time it's available is on a retreat, because we're usually so jumpy and nervy in the world that you actually have the luxury of the hours of repeating for great concentration to happen. And so we want you to make the most of being here. That's why we're offering it to you, not because, you know, you should and it's the right way. So we encourage definitely that repetition. But these other pieces of metta are um, where it becomes uh, living and uh, authentic and delicious and really uh, guides us and nourishes us so I encourage that because that's what happened for me and uh, it's, I love this so much it's why I'm having a hard time stopping and we've already been here an hour five minutes <laughs> okay okay. one poem to end with because it's nice to do mm. John O'Donohue, because he died a year ago Use Irish. This is a meta-wish. This is my wish for all of you. On the day when the weight deadens on your shoulders and you stumble. Oh, I always do this. I do a false start. In the moment, we we'll are come into the word clay. That's a sort of old-fashioned use, meaning earth, ground. And there's another word further on, which is currach. A currach, it's, it's an Irish, it's a little boat made of uh, woven uh, Hazel, basically, and skin. It was originally animal skin, and then later when they invented it, canvas. So it's like a canvas-covered little woven boat. On the day when the weight deadens on your shoulders and you stumble, may the clay dance to balance you. And when your eyes freeze behind the grey window and the ghost of loss gets into you, may a flock of colours, indigo, red, green, and azure blue come to awaken in you a meadow of delight. When the canvas frays in the curric of thoughts and a stain of ocean blackens beneath you, may there come across the waters a path of yellow moonlight to bring you safely home. May the nourishment of the earth be yours. May the clarity of light be yours. May the fluency of the oceans be yours. May the protection of the ancestors be yours. And so, may a slow wind work these words of love around you, an invisible cloak to mind your life. I've got a last line on the bottom. I'm now going to say, everything is in a secret relationship with everything else. (laughs) Let's just sit quietly for a moment. Everything's in a secret relationship with everything else.